Good morning. It's really awesome to be with you again. Uh, as Lauren mentioned, we're going to wrap up our Joseph series today. Before we get into it, I want to bring your attention to a few things that are happening here at the church. As you know, things are opening up more and more, and uh, so we're looking forward to what we're going to be doing uh, on an ongoing basis for our worship services. And uh, it's been a, a complex adventure, to say the least. And we've been doing two services, one at 9 o'clock, which we've also been live streaming, and an 11 o'clock service outdoors. It's been a little bit complicated because, uh, whoa, and it's even more complicated if you can't hear me on our worship services. Can you hear me now? You can hear me now. Okay. Uh, and so we've got the uh, 9 a.m. here, 11 o'clock outdoors. We're working that with volunteers, musicians, and all that. It's been uh, Quite a challenge to pull that thing off. And also, our outdoor service has raised a few concerns for some of our neighbors who are not necessarily comfortable with all of the noise that they are hearing. So we're thinking and praying through uh, the options moving forward. Uh, and eventually, of course, very soon, we want to get everybody in here all the time. But for the 11 o'clock service, we're thinking and praying through doing a hybrid service. And we need some more volume. We need a handheld mic. So do I need to start all over again, Brian, with these announcements, or can I just keep going where I left off? Just keep going? Okay, now you can hear me. I think you could hear me at home, here, but at home maybe more of a challenge. So what we're thinking about doing is a hybrid service for the 11 o'clock service, meaning we're going to meet in here, preach and worship in here, but in the uh, patio out there, we would have a sound system and uh, uh, projection so you can see things. So if you're not comfortable completely yet uh, coming all the way inside, we're going to have the outdoor option. We're thinking about that going forward at, at some point, maybe in the next few weeks. And so, um, but we, we really want to hear from you. We want to hear from everyone what you're comfortable with going forward. So we have a survey for you to fill out, pbc.org uh, slash bulletin, right? PBC, no, pbc.org slash bulletin. And everyone, we'd, we'd like you to fill out a survey to let, you know, to let us know what you would like to do going forward, uh, especially being considerate of the neighbors around us and really trying to think through what's best for the body of Christ here at PBC. And we would invite you to pray with us because this has been a, just a prayerful journey for the last uh, year and several months. And we're, we're praying about it constantly, about how to do this, how to best serve the Lord, how to best serve our people here in this place going forward. So please help us uh, by filling out the survey and also by praying with us. Okay, so we're in the Joseph story, finishing up the Joseph story. And, um, you know, it, it occurs to me that this fellow by the name of Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the great Russian writer of the 20th century, was something of a latter-day Joseph. Um, he... Uh, went through so much. He suffered all this injustice, just the way Joseph suffered all this injustice. And yet he emerged with a really amazing perspective. And just like Joseph, he too was thrown into prison, in his case, by the Soviet regi regime, which was ruling in that day. And, uh, but here's what he says about his experience in the prison and, and, and all the injustice that he suffered. And he, it's interesting, what he says is that he thought at first that he was better than his persecutors, but really in the prison, he came to conclude that he was just the same as they were. Listen to this. It was only when I lay there on rotting prison straw that I sensed within myself the first stirrings of good. Gradually, it was disclosed to me 
that the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either. Don't we need that word today? But through every human heart and through all human hearts. The line separating good, and e- good from evil goes through every human heart, not through political parties. And here's what he says. That is why I turn back to the years of my imprisonment and say, sometimes to the astonishment of those about me, bless you prison, bless you prison for having been in my life. A pretty amazing perspective. And what happened in Solzhenitsyn's life is that God used evil for good. And if you doubt that, just go online and read his commencement address at Harvard University in 1978. It's an astonishing a treatment of what is happening in Western culture back then, and it's the same thing is happening to this day. And Solzhenitsyn was a prophet. He could see that, and he blessed the world with his amazing writings. So what are we to make of the Joseph story? Well, let's wrap things up. Let's look at Genesis chapter 50, verse 22. Joseph remained in Egypt he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children and the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. So Joseph remains in Egypt. You remember, he's from Canaan, the promised land, but he was taken to Egypt against his will, and yet God did amazing things with him in Egypt. It is not reported that he felt called to Egypt, Who feels called to be thrown into a prison and then taken to some foreign land against one's will and then to be thrown into a prison? Who feels called in that regard? Yet Joseph understood that the Lord had called him and sent him ultimately to Egypt. He didn't feel that way at the beginning, but but based on his perspective, he was able to look back and see that God sent him to Egypt. He lives to be 110 years. That's not as old as Abraham or Isaac or Jacob, but nevertheless, in Egypt, that was considered an ideal age to die at. So he's, he's kind of of both worlds. He's of the, of the Hebrew world and he's of the Egyptian world. His home ultimately is in the promised land, but he lives in Egypt. He remains in Egypt. He lives this full life from an Egyptian perspective. And the narrator comments on what a blessed life he lives by making comments about his sons and his descendants. His descendants speak of the future, speak of the future of the people of God. And this was so important to the patriarchs to have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren because that meant this whole promise of God thing was going to continue through the generations. So he lives a full life. And brothers and sisters, a full life is not dependent on a favorable place to live. It is not dependent upon favorable circumstances. It is dependent on the Lord. A full life is dependent on the Lord, and and it is dependent on faith in the Lord. That's what Joseph had, a full life based on his trust in the Lord. And it is not beyond the Lord, of course, to use all sorts of unfavorable circumstances in your life. It is not beyond the Lord to send you to, in an uncomfortable way, to an uncomfortable place so that he can form you and shape you for his purposes. Uh, Most of you have probably seen the beloved movie, It's a Wonderful Life. 
You remember the protagonist, George Bailey, played by Jimmy Stewart, and he lives in this small, confining, constricting town called Bedford Falls. And he can't wait to get out of Bedford Falls. He says, he vows, I'm going to shake the, the, the dust of this crummy town off of my feet, and I'm going to see the world. But each time he wants to get out and see the world, his commitments pull him back. And he is relegated to spending the rest of his life, it looks like, in Bedford Falls, in this confining, constricting place, unfavorable circumstances. He thinks his life is a dead end until the angel shows up and, and, and tells him and shows him what, it, what the world would be like without him. And he can see now that he has blessed his town. He has blessed the world. He has really turned back the tide against the evil potter and saved the town. He had no idea that these things were happening in his life. But that's the, that, that was what was happening in him and through him. And so God can use all sorts of unfavorable circumstances in your life to take you to him, to form you, to use you for his purposes. Now, Joseph has some final words for his relatives. Let's look at that. Verse 24, and Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will, God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. So the text says that Joseph was speaking to his brothers here. This probably means he was speaking to his relatives, not only any of the brothers who happened to survive at this point, but to all his family members as well. And he's, he tells them that God is going to visit them and bring them up out of here, out of Egypt. Now, obviously, he's, God's not going to do that to them specifically because it's going to happen 400 years from now. So, but he's promising them, and he's also promising their descendants that this is what God is going to do at some point. He's going to visit you to do this. But he's also going to visit you in the meantime to sustain you as the people of God until that day. And um, he, he, he makes them swear. God has promised to them, he has sworn to them, this particular piece of land, the land of Canaan, it's called the promised land. He has promised that uh, the Lord has promised that to uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and his descendants. But right now, they are in Egypt. But he has promised to take them out of there and ultimately to take them to the land that he has promised them. And so now Joseph wants them to swear, wants them to make a promise, to believe that. And also, he makes this very curious statement regarding his bones. I want you to take my bones and carry my bones up from here. God's going to carry you up from here, but I want you also to carry my bones up from here. Now, what is Joseph doing? This is a very curious thing to do, but when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. I'm going to leave my bones here, and you're going to see my bones, and those bones are going to be a promise to you that these bones are not going to stay here. You're not going to stay here. So, what Joseph is doing is he's leaving sort of a visual illustration he's, and, 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 uh, for, for, for people to, to connect with through the generations. He's building links in the chain because these promises of God, unless they are handed down, people are going to forget about them. 
So the promise of God is he's going to take you out of here, and the bones are emblematic of that promise. And if you can, if you can pass on the story of the bones, you're passing on the story of God's faithfulness through the generations. So what's he doing? He's building a link in the chain. And the next generation has to do the same thing. Build a link in the chain. Build another link. Build another link for more than 400 years. Those bones are going to remind the people of God of the promise of God for 400 years. Now, this is different from what Jacob requested. You might remember, if you were with us last week, Jacob said, I don't want to be buried here in Egypt. That's not my home. I want to be buried back in Canaan. And they did it immediately. As soon as he died, they took his body back to uh, the promised land, Canaan, to bury him there. That's different from what Joseph does. Joseph leaves no instructions regarding his burial. All he says is, I want my bones to stay here in Egypt until God visits you and takes you out of here. It's different. He's speaking of the future, and he's, 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 he's guaranteeing the future for these people if they will believe and pass down these promises. So what he's saying for each generation for 400 years is this. Don't get too comfortable. This is not your home. This is not the land that God promised us. God did not promise us Egypt. He has his purposes for our being in Egypt right now, but really, he has promised to us the land of Canaan, and he's going to take us there at some point. So how do they respond? They respond by putting his bones in this coffin. and they, Well, the whole body, right? But his bones underneath the body, and they embalm him, and they put him in a coffin. And so there are, and by all appearances, they don't bury the coffin. Isn't that what you're supposed to do with a coffin? You, you, you get a coffin? I'm, I don't know how many graveside services I've done. They get the coffin. You finish the service. You put the box in the ground. There are no instructions to put the box in the ground, and they don't, apparently they don't, they don't do it. Why not? Well, it's, it's all about the bones of promise. And if you've got that box above the ground, then you can know that, oh, yeah, those are Joseph's bones in that box. You know what those bones mean? And if the children were to ask, and surely they did through the generations, what's that box doing there? What's inside? Oh, let me tell you the story, children. These are the bones of Joseph. And hundreds of years ago, oh. You see how it's going to be passed on down through the generations because of this coffin. So you get to the book of Exodus. And the book of Exodus, of course, is how God visits his people to redeem them from Egypt and to take them, carry them out of the land of Egypt into the promised land. And they are, they're on their way. They're leaving. And as they are leaving, the author of Exodus makes sure that we know this. Exodus chapter 13, verse 19. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. They remembered the promises for 400 years, and as they're leaving, Moses says, don't forget those bones. We're gonna take those bones with us. Those bones represent the promises of God to us to take us to the promised land. So then they go in the wilderness, right? And uh, we know the story. They wander in the wilderness for 400 years. And, and then, we, then we read the rest of the book of Exodus. We read Leviticus. We read Numbers. We read Deuteronomy. And we read nothing about these bones, nothing about this coffin, nothing about this box. 
Maybe they had to change boxes a few times. I don't know. Like the wood rots, doesn't it? At any rate, they still got this box. They're carrying it around. But we don't know what's going on with this thing until you get to the book of Joshua. Then you get to the book of Joshua, and it's the conquest of the promised land. And finally, at the end of the book of Joshua, after the people of God have fought many battles, we read this. As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem in the piece of land that Jacob bought bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. Okay, now let's do the math here. Okay, They're, they're in Egypt for 400 years, actually 430 years. They're wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And then they have this, uh, the years of the conquest in the promised land, and eventually the promised land is secure, and now we finally read about the bones of Joseph being buried in the promised land just like he wanted. You add the whole thing up, it's about 500 years. And you wonder what happened in the wilderness with those bones. They carted those blasted bones around them in the wilderness for 40 years and then into the promised land. The bones of Joseph sustained the people of God in their faith for 500 years. They didn't forget the promises of God. And it was because of one man, the faith of one man, that's that's what sustained the people of God through the centuries. So they placed his bones in a coffin. That word that is translated coffin is the same word that is translated ark, as in Ark of the Covenant. Now, in the Ark of the Covenant, that was another box. They placed the Word of God, the Ten Commandments, which were written by the finger of God. So the people of God carried around with them in the wilderness and into the Promised Land two boxes, one containing the Word of God and the other containing the bones of Joseph, who exemplified and lived out the Word of God. So that's the last we hear of the bones of Joseph, right? Finally, we got the bones of Joseph buried in the promised land, just like we hoped would happen, it happened. Not the end of the story. We get to Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 11 this summer, and we get to this part of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Man, the bones of Joseph have a lot to say, don't they? I mean, it's, it's, it, goes, it starts in Genesis and goes all the way to Hebrews in the New Testament. It's an amazing little story. So you, you, you get through Genesis and Exodus, and you keep reading, you keep reading, and eventually you turn the page, you get to the New Testament, you get to the Gospels, you get to Luke, and you get this fellow by the name of Zechariah. And Zechariah was the father of John the Baptist. And he's recognizing the promises of God all over again, being fulfilled in the coming of Christ. And listen to what he said. Listen to what he says. Luke chapter 1, verse 68. He's praying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Remember, God will surely visit you and carry you out of here. Now Zechariah says, God has surely visited his people in the coming of Jesus Christ. 
But they didn't exactly love Jesus, did they? He told them the truth. And oftentimes, if you speak the truth, you're not going to be well-loved. Jesus was not well-loved. Eventually, he was hated. They crucified him. They placed him in a tomb. They didn't place him in a coffin. They placed him in a tomb. But what happened to that tomb? What happened to that body in that tomb? God visited that tomb. Those bones broke out of there. Jesus Christ, of course, was resurrected from the dead, which means that all the promises of God regarding the new creation for us are going to come true. They were hoping for the promised land. We're hoping for the new promised land. That is the new heaven, the new earth, the new creation. The symbol of the promises of God for the people of God for 500 years that was a box with some bones in it. For the last 2,000 years, and for who knows how much longer, the symbol of the promises of God for the people of God is a tomb without any bones in it. Now, one day, they're going to place your bones someplace. They're going to place your bones in a box or what's left of your bones in a jar, or they're going to scatter your bones to the wind. What happens then? I'll tell you this. You better believe in Jesus. And if you do, the promises of God are for you. You too will be resurrected from the dead. God will visit you. God will visit those ashes, those bones, wherever they are. He will reassemble them, and you will be resurrected from the dead just like Jesus was resurrected from the dead to enjoy the new creation for all eternity. Surely, God will visit you and carry you out of that place. Peter calls it the day of visitation. Do you see how the scriptures work together? The day of visitation, God will surely visit you, and Peter calls it the day of visitation. So, my friends, here we are in this world that God has created. It is a sin-saturated world, but the Spirit has invaded this world in the resurrection of Christ, the coming of the Spirit, the presence of the Spirit with us. But this world is not our home. We are waiting for the new creation, the new earth. So don't get too comfortable. Do not live for the passing pleasures of sin Instead, live for the eternal pleasures and the eternal glory of God. God will surely visit you. Not only in the future, if you believe in Jesus, one day when you will be resurrected from the dead, but every day in different ways, in different times, in different places to sustain you as his beloved so that ultimately you're going to be ready for that day. And if you need a reminder that this world is not your home, your body's going to tell you. All the aches and all the pains and all the illnesses and the eventual decline of your body is going to tell you, you know, there's something not right here. I don't think this is where I'm supposed to be, at least not forever. Your body is going to tell you. Even youths, vigorous youths, grow weary and they stumble, according to Isaiah. So even if you're a young person, you're going to know this once in a while. Oh, yeah, I got this ache. What, what happened? I wake up sometimes and 
how did this ache happen? I don't know. So uh, Jack LaLanne was a, was a fitness guru, uh, kind of from, from my generation. Some of you old timers will remember Jack LaLanne. And, uh, and he, he said this. He said, I can't afford to die. It would be bad for my reputation. <laughs> but you know what? He died. He lived in 96. That's not bad, but he still died. Now, now, like many people in the country who are sports fans, I was quite taken by the victory of Phil Mickelson in the recent PGA Championship at the age of 50. He became the oldest golfer in history to win a major championship at the age of 50. And, 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 and finally, when the last putt dropped into the hole, the announcer, the broadcaster, Jim Nance, said, proclaimed, Phil defeats Father Time. It is a great line with a nice little alliteration there. It sounds great, doesn't it? Phil defeats Father Time. But he didn't do it, did he? He only held off Father Time for a little bit. And how did you do it, Phil? In the interview afterwards, he said, well, I realized that if I was going to stay competitive into my latter years, I was going to have to work a lot harder and I was going to have to eat a lot better. He, He goes on these amazing fasts to reset his body. And he ended up winning the PGA Championship at the astounding age of 50. But his body is telling him something. Phil, don't get too comfortable. You're not meant for this world forever. You're meant for the new world. That is the recreated earth. So first of all, don't get too comfortable. Second, leave some bones behind. Now, I'm not talking literally. I'm talking figuratively. What did Joseph do? He left some bones behind to indicate the promises of God so that people would believe in the promises of God. Pass on the faith. Pass on the promises of God. Most importantly, pass on the promise of eternal life because if people can get that in their minds that they are not forever in this world, that can liberate them to live truly for the glory of God in this world while they are here. Leave some bones behind. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 20. Actually, no, leave some bones behind and, and make sure you are forging a link in that chain. That's what you need to do. Forge a link in that chain. And Paul says this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Speaking to Timothy, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and uh, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You see, Paul connects with the promises of God and the truth of who God is and the truth of the scriptures. He teaches all that to Timothy and says, okay, now, Timothy, you go ahead and teach that to others. You pass that on. He's leaving some bones behind. Make sure that you leave some bones behind. So I I relish the opportunity to teach the scriptures to any group. As many of you know, I love, absolutely love and adore teaching the seniors Bible study. But I, I have opportunities also to teach younger people as well. And each group represents a distinct opportunity. And uh, most recently, I taught the uh, Santa Clara University Fellowship a few weeks ago, and uh, I'm going to, in the summer, teach the, uh, the Young Adult Fellowship here at this church. And the distinct opportunity that, that, that those particular fellowships represent is the opportunity to forge a link in the chain, 
to pass it on. And, and, and we as a church, we, we, we definitely need to be passing this stuff on to the next generation. We can't get stuck in the past. We've got to be able to pass on these great truths to the next generation. So, um, and at a certain point, when you reach a certain age, you, you might want to, to your family, make your wishes known. What do you, what do you want to happen when, when you die? And maybe that can make a statement of faith. Or maybe you could have some last words for a few people. What, what are the last words you would like to leave? Or what, what, are, your, what are your wishes? Here, here's what I want. Let me tell you what I want. So in case anybody is around, you know, and I go, oh, yeah, old Grant, this is what he said, you know. Okay, so here's what I want. I know it's more expensive to bury someone in a cemetery than it is to burn up a body, but that's what I want. I want to be buried in a cemetery. And here's, well, I'll tell you why. So get the, get the, get the cheapest box you can find, get the cheapest cemetery you can find, get the cheapest plot in the cheapest cemetery you can find, take the body, take the bones, Put the bones in the box and put the box in the ground. I think that makes a statement. That's the statement that I want to make. And what the statement is, 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 is there, here's a place and here's where the bones are, but the bones aren't staying here. God will surely visit this place and carry these bones up from here. That's the statement I want to make. And by the way, you mu- also might want to put 1 Corinthians 15 52, on the grave marker. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. You know, I, I do a fair amount of graveside services, and, and sometimes I just wander around, I look at the grave markers, and I go, who was this person? Sometimes it indicates. There's something that's significant that, that is indicated there. And what I want indicated is basically for these bones to be speaking to anybody who happens by. And what these bones are saying, if anyone will listen, we're busting out of here. (laughs) We are busting out of here. Jesus is coming back for these bones. He's going to reassemble them. He's going to give me a new body. If you believe in Jesus, he's going to give you a new body. You are going to reign with Christ forever in the new creation. And you better believe in Jesus, my friends. You at home, if you haven't put your trust in Jesus, you need to put your trust in Jesus right now. You will reign with Christ forever. Repent of your sins. Turn away from all of that garbage that you've been believing in. Turn away from all of the pleasures of sin. Turn to Christ. Trust in him. Believe in him. Invite him into your heart, and you will reign with Jesus forever. What are we to make? of the Joseph story. God was with Joseph. To what end? Joseph says in two verses, two key verses in our narrative. Genesis 45, verse 7. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. God sent me before you. Speaking to his brothers, his brothers who abused him physically, threw him into a pit, sold him into slavery. Speaking again to his brothers, Genesis 50, verse 20, the key verse in the whole narrative. 
As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today, keeping alive the family of God so that the promises of God can ultimately be fulfilled. Turn the page in the Bible to the next book, and you get to Exodus, and you get to this fellow by the name of Pharaoh. That's not his name, it's his title. He's the king of Egypt. God uses the evil of Pharaoh for good to bring about ultimately the redemption of God and the, forma- the re- redemption of the people of God and the formation of the people of God while they are in Egypt. Turn the page. Keep turning the page. Keep turning the page. On page after page in the scriptures, in the Hebrew scriptures, you see how God uses evil for good. And then finally you come to the New Testament and you come to Jesus Christ and you see what happens to Jesus Christ on the cross. The only perfect, sinless man who ever lived and they absolutely, totally abused him. They crucified him. It is the worst evil that has ever happened in the history of the world, is it not? The only perfect man who ever lived is crucified and is killed. And in fact, he absorbs all the evil of all the people for all time into his very being. You talk about injustice. It is the worst evil that has ever happened. It is the best thing that has ever happened in the history of the world. On the cross of Jesus Christ, as he absorbs the sins of the world, and you are forgiven, and I am forgiven, and we live with God forever. You think God uses evil for good? It is an absolutely absurd assertion when you really think about it. When you think about all of the evil in the world, and I don't, I don't want to go there, but you know it. I, I, God uses all of the evil in the world and it, it, it advances his purposes. God uses evil for good. It's absurd. It is true. God is with us. To what end? To use evil for good in our lives so that we can bless the world. God is with us to use evil in our lives for good so that we can bless the world. The way Joseph did. The way Jesus did. Joseph refused to be a victim. He was a victim. He did not see himself as a victim. Why? Because he was able to see what God did through him. Through all the evil that was done to him, he was able to see what God did. So he was liberated from the whole concept of being a victim. And our world is teaching us, especially today, see yourself as a victim. By all means, deal with the pain in your life. You are a victim. We're all victims. But if you see yourself as a victim, that is slavery. Joseph was thrown into slavery, but he was never a slave. He believed in God. He believed in the promises of God. Now, therapists can be very helpful in, in helping you process the trauma that has happened to you in your life. They do a very good service. But not all of them are going to say, okay, now look at the trauma that has happened in your life, all the things that your parents did to you, all the abuse that you've suffered, and now take a look at that and see what God has done through that as a result of that, all the good that has come of that. 
Not as many therapists are going to do that for you. But that's what the scriptures do for us. They encourage us to look at the trauma that we, that we have suffered in our lives. And yes, to deal with it. And yes, to lament. And, less to, and cry over it. And all of that. But also to see God's hand of redemption. The way Joseph saw God's hand of redemption. And if you can see that and believe in that, even if you haven't seen it yet, if you can believe in that, then you can be liberated. You can be liberated from the gall of bitterness, and you can be liberated from the, the, the endless analysis and debilitating analysis of all the trauma in your life. That has a point, but you don't want to spend your whole life analyzing your pain. You want to spend a lot more of your life saying, what has God done with the pain to heal it and to liberate me and to move me forward and to make me a blessing to others? If you can do that, then perhaps you can say with Solzhenitsyn, something along the lines of, bless you, prison, for having been in my life. I'd like to invite the band up, and I'm going to pray for us in conclusion. Our Heavenly Father, This is an awesome, awesome story that you have given us in the scriptures, in the book of Genesis, from Joseph's life. And it's such such an amazing story in which we see you in the life of a man working to bring about great and awesome things. Lord, would we believe today that you are about great and awesome things? working all sorts of good out of all the evil in the world, even the evil that we have suffered in our own lives. Would you make us people of praise, people who believe in your promises? In Jesus' name, amen.